Well, hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Race Formula E podcast and what a show we have for you today. Formula E's first race on the completely permanent race circuit created its most controversial event to date. Joining me, Andrew Vanderberg, to try and make some sense of it all are our Formula E correspondent, Sam Smith, and our special guest today, Adam Carroll, former Jaguar Racing Formula E driver and the current reserve at Neo 333. Usually we start these proceedings gently with a few reminiscences from me and Sam about our guests, but exceptional circumstances call for a different approach. So, starting with you, Sam, in years to come, when you write your next Formula E book, what will be the focus of the Valencia Season 7 chapter? <laughs> well, it's going to be a bloody big book, big chapter, that's for sure. I think, of course, it will be remembered this particular race on Saturday and what occurred in the final stages. Uh, that's pretty clear. A week before the race, I spoke privately to a top leading driver in Formula E who had just been on the simulator and he, and he was worried. Um, he was worried about the image of the championship and he was worried about how the perception of the energy deduction might look if a similar scenario to what played out did. And, and sure enough, that happened on Saturday. You know, there was a reason that they put the chicane in at Valencia and that was to create a, a breaking point, um, which obviously the, the teams and the, the drivers need for, for recouping the, the energy. So in years to come, I think looking back on it, it will be remembered not particularly fondly. Um, and it could be that the time that a lot of people lost their faith in electric racing, which is, which is sad. It sounds extreme, but this has been built up over pretty much the last decade, and it doesn't take much, as we've seen in other sports, for some good work to be undone. You know, th- this isn't 1982 at Monaco or Imola in 1985 when everyone ran out of gas. This is supposed to be an advanced, um, shiny new formula that evidences the, the amazing technology and the en- engineering and lots of clever engineers who, who were all made to look a bit stupid through no fault of their own and without any particular explanation on TV. So trying to quantify the reputational damage that the manufacturers may have accrued, or certainly did accrue last Saturday, is going to take time. But I believe that the questions that, that started coming inevitably to the team principals, even on Saturday evening, I know that for a fact because they told me, that they are difficult questions. And it's a major concern at a time when, essentially, um, we're between rule sets. So, yeah, very concerning and um, not not a good day. Not a good day for Formulary. For anyone who's listening who didn't watch the race, I mean, first of all, where were you? But secondly, effectively what happened um, with two laps to go, the race restarted and following safety car periods, uh, the energy is recalculated and the way the recalculation works meant that I mean, basically nine cars had enough energy to get around a lap. Adam, you were there. Um, can you give us some insight into what was happening in the garage when that f- final recalculation came up and it showed that most cars had 3 or 4% energy left? Well, I don't know if I can repeat it, but um, I think you could kind of see generally people's um, a little bit of disbelief on their on their face when they realised there was another lap. So, or when, the, when the, obviously when the energy then reset, just that obviously how little there was left. So... I think obviously like it it is motor racing so you have to take everything to the limit you know the energy is extreme the you you, you cross the line pretty much derating there's zero energy left you know you come out of the last corner with whatever distance it is to cross the line you know and that's how you know you've you've done your job and you've used all your energy because you know you never want to finish with any more usable energy um 
so you know everything is really really fine and it's incredibly um competitive so i think what happens is 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 you're obviously used to you get your energy number you know if it's it takes 1.7 kilowatts you know to do a lap and obviously you just that's how much energy you have so you kind of come into your last lap and you have a target to work to and as long as you don't go under it you know you, you finish the lap so i think whenever the energy was reset obviously instead of having you know as an example um two you know two kilowatt to, to finish the last lap everybody had one uh, to do two laps so it, it it made it just such a crazy uh low target that uh, no one really believed it so i think the drivers and people who saw it on you know with the information that they have i think that definitely just thought that it was wrong you know that something had gone wrong the calculation had gone wrong because it was nearly physically impossible to do two laps under the amount of energy left so it caught obviously just everybody by surprise and that's just why so many cars physically ran out and stopped um and i think you could see i think it wasn't that jev did a six minute lap or something ridiculous for yeah to finish so you know he, he just probably put it on the pit limiter and <clears throat> just drove around um but that's actually how severe you know that's that's how slow you actually had to go just because of the energy what 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 was expected to finish those two laps so yeah it was just a bit of a shock you know it really was i think everybody it took it took a few minutes to sort of actually understand what happened because you know initially you might think we've got our lap our laps wrong you know so instead of it we thought there was 30 laps there was actually a 31 you know so there's so many different sort of potential possibilities initially just to sort of understand what happened but it was pretty clear after the energy reset that's what you know that that was the the big factor in in, in everything now sam you wrote an excellent piece on the race um, about um, exactly what happened the background to this and how it could have potentially been avoided so can you take us through exactly what happened yeah well f- first off i mean it, it it is a very complex uh, set of set of circumstances but it was an exceptional race in the sense that there were five safety cars. The rule introduced in the summer of 2019 dictates that for each minute under either full course yellow or safety car conditions, one kilowatt hour of the 52 kilowatt hours allocated can be deducted from the energy each driver has. Now, the key words there, of course, are can be. This is up to the race director who has the discretionary power to take it off so this was brought into effect to ensure that neutralizations wouldn't see what natural energy storage and then flat out races where there is little saving required because that that would go against the ethos of the whole championship or well not the whole ethos but part of it which of course is energy management you know that is just an inherent part of of this strand of the sport the field had already had 14 kilowatts taken away through the neutralization periods as the, the race came to a conclusion. So when Lotter and Mortara collided the, and the fifth one came out, the race director had a choice. Follow the letter of the law and apply the full amount, which turned out to be five kilowatts, kilowatt hours that he chose to, to do. Or perhaps knowing that the drivers wouldn't be able to recoup the energy in the final moments and recalculate, maybe deduct two or perhaps none at all. For me, what was concerning was that 
we discovered afterwards, or, or the race discovered afterwards, was that this had been addressed at the team manager's meeting the previous day. And the questions and the concerns have been asked to the FIA that this could happen or a scenario similar could happen. The worry was that impossible targets would be created. And that is exactly what happened in those final few laps with the majority of the field conking out embarrassingly as we saw. Now, with it being a time race of 45 minutes plus one lap, there is always the chance something like this could have happened. And that jeopardy is part of the part of the deal, right? I mean, we, we saw an amazing race in in Mexico in 2019 when Nissan got it wrong, but that was pre this rule of deduction. Degrassi caught Verlaine on the line. It was amazing. Everyone went home happy. But that's yeah. a very different scenario to what happened on Saturday because the che- the teams just had no time to react. If you look at it back on, this, on, on the, the coverage, the safety car gets called in with just over 90 seconds of the race remaining. Then with 27 seconds to go, the Costa at the chic- is at the chicane and clearly not waiting for the clock to tick down. You know, that would have meant him going at, I don't know what speed, but a ridiculous speed, which could have been a safety concern. The TV graphics deduct the energy two seconds later, meaning there was a golden minute or over, just over that, where a decision seemed to be possible to take off two to three kilowatts, which would have made it an amazing finish. Look, this is all complex and I'm going on, but ultimately... I'm not throwing anyone under the bus on this because, frankly, Scott Elkins is one of the best race directors in the business. We know that. He's universally um, he's universally respected in, in racing. This was not his fault. We have to stress that. He did nothing wrong by the regulations and the letter of the law. But Formula E and the FIA prides themselves on flexibility in Formula E. And on this occasion, it just wasn't there and it had disastrous results. Well, one of the other bits that's come out of this is is them effectively saying that they didn't expect the cost to cross the line. Whereas you say you had 27 seconds or basically half a minute to go through a final chicane. I mean, Adam, as a driver, how do you feel about the cost of being scapegoated for this? Well, I think that shouldn't happen either. Of course not. Um, you know, if you have a crazy amount of time to lose you know if it's if it's literally just a couple of seconds and then yes you could maybe you could work that and everybody would probably say yeah that's all right but you know if it's 5 10 15 20 seconds um you'd have to basically stop you know and then the knock-on effect is you get blamed anyway for causing an incident or backing everybody up or just going too slow you know there's so many other things you um it could happen, but that's the thing. I don't think if if you turned it around and then said, "Okay, if you don't back everybody up and you're gonna, you don't have enough energy to do one lap," then you would actually have no choice. You you would have to, you would have to then, you know, slow the car down enough to to not get, you know, not have to do that extra lap and then deal with the consequences afterwards. But you know, that's that's sort of the thing that I think in that moment it was just very very difficult to to know whether what was going to happen. So, you know, so it was such a late call that yeah, the end result was taking away the the energy from you know the the officials is what really uh, just and no one had time as Sam said no one had time to react to it. So I think it was just incredibly late, and you know there just wasn't enough time to decide really like what what needed to be done. Uh, to give, if I can just come in to give. Um... The FIA, their due. Uh, Frederick Bertrand 
who's been instrumental in Formula E and, and been in the paddock since its inception and, and, and done so many good things. He did front up to the media and did answer questions and to some extent, you know, did say that this was not desirable and, and shouldn't happen again. It wasn't a full mea culpa, but it was, you know, this happened. But at the same time, to suggest that of the champion, I think is insulting at best. And I just think it's kind of out of order to, to, to do that. And Antonio, as we saw, responded pretty angrily to it on Saturday night. Um, you know, I, I just thought that was, uh, yeah, that, that wasn't a, a great moment. No, and I, I'm surprised he wasn't a little bit more angry, to be honest with you. And what doesn't make sense here, and the joined up dots isn't happening, is you had Jean Todd come out earlier in the week or two weeks ago, effectively lambasting the press for not giving Formula E enough coverage. You know, in the time I was working there, one of the key goals was to try and make the drivers heroes, right? To try and give as much access and insight into them as possible. In some ways, it went a little bit too far as far as I was concerned. Big up rivalries between them and create these dramatic storylines. Effectively, the essence of where Drive to Survive is now. Because the fact is, right, that series still isn't getting the cut through that it should be getting and that it craves and that it needs, right, in order to thrive and survive. And the key influencers in getting fans engaged are the drivers and the teams. And to make it appear as if the best driver in the series, the champion, is somehow culpable for making it a, a farcical ending is outrageously short-sighted at best. And, you know, probably worse than that. You know, you should that you should be lauding him, making a hero of him, not making him look like an idiot. But, um, Sam, have we heard the end of this? Are there going to be further repercussions? I mean, the manufacturers spending millions to showcase their EVs surely can't be happy about that. Indeed. I, I think it's... It isn't so fanciful to say that the manufacturers have probably spent upwards of one and a half billion euros since the inception of Formula E. You know, that's that's quite a crude sum, but it's built on an average of 10 million euros per season. So actually, it's probably quite a conservative one for 20 teams, right? So that's a lot of money in anyone's walk of life, uh, even for Adam. <laughs> but <laughs> to, to, I mean, seriously, it, it's a serious matter. And to see potential future consumers, the people that the manufacturers selling to calling it out for the BS that it, you know, that they thought it was and, and were, they were quite, they were, they were quite entitled to that opinion. And, you know, a lot of them contacted me or I saw on uh, social media, they were switching over to watch the Monaco historics or, or whatever. They were going to do something else because they felt, you know, in the words of, John Lydon, they felt a bit cheated. I mean, how many times have we said it, B to be on here? Engaging new audience, as you've just said, is absolutely vital for Marie. The heroes are the guys in the cockpit. The boffins do their amazing work. But it's, you know, it's not the only electric show in town now, right? So it, it has opposition and it's coming all the time. Let's not forget a shiny new electric GT championship was launched by the FAA last week. So options are forming for manufacturers. What could be potentially a more easily understandable aesthetic brand value for, for, for some of the manufacturers in Formula E. And this is all on last weekend. Um, it's all on last weekend where, you know, as well as all that, Formula E was having its last event fixture that doesn't clash with F1. So it was more important than ever. And at a track where, let's face it, it didn't look its best anyway, which I'm sure we'll, we'll have a look at shortly, it was just like a cocked... It was just a... It, 
in my mind, it was just a, a real nadir, a nadir for Formula E, and uh, it was it was pretty sad to see. Away from that farcical ending, we did actually have two races, and as you said, for the first time, we got to see Formula E racing on a permanent track. Something people have been crying out for for ages. I hasten to say I've never been one of them. I understood from that first Donington test that they should never have gone near a permanent track. But not to influence your answer, Adam, um, what did you make of the track layout and uh, the racing it created? Well, I think if you look at something like just you know how it looks and how it comes across, obviously on on TV, um, you know you come from something like Rome and. Obviously, the you know the backdrops amazing. So you know one thing about Formula is some of the, the cities you're racing and the atmosphere and just being in the city and you know like I said like the backdrop and the in the, the TV shots you know they're pretty pretty amazing. So I think you know to go from a city like Rome to a, an open track like Valencia, it probably just doesn't help it either and um, doesn't take away from the competition whatsoever. It's still incredibly tight in fact going going to a going to a permanent circuit probably it makes it actually even slightly more um bunches the grid up a little bit you know and this the time differences because it's it's a little bit more fixed you know it's not as bumpy there's um obviously not as many walls to to hit or get wrong so you know i think ultimately it makes the, the field even more um you know it's even it's even harder to be at the front it's more com- competitive to a point but to look at, I think it obviously doesn't really work. Um, but Valencia as a circuit in itself, for me anyway, is just it, it's never somewhere you really, you know, ever are that happy to go to. It's it's not the best track for racing cars. Um, Adam, did you end up in the air there in a GP two race? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's seen, he's seen yeah. all angles of it. He's seen all angles uh, of Valencia. Yeah, once you get actually up a wee bit higher, it makes you appreciate there's quite a lot of runoff. So. That that day I was happy to 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 take the permanent fixed circuit. I tell you because it, the, where I took off and where I stopped rolling was quite a big difference. It was about three hundred meters, I reckon. Um, so yeah, Vincent's just a little bit of a unique sort of circuit. You know, I I don't really ever know too many drivers that actually enjoy driving it. You know, it's not somewhere you you're really like yes, you know, someone you mentioned Spa, Silverstone, all the all the big circuits. Um you know, you're, you're, you're kind of excited and you want to go there. So, um, yeah, I just think that probably, you know, really didn't help with just how everything just looks and, you know, comes across on TV. Cause if that's your first race that you obviously, you know, tune into, um, now you might know any difference cause you haven't seen them in anything else, but you know, it doesn't, doesn't look at it. It's not at its best. Um, the competition is the same and it's still just as hard to win. It is incredibly, um, competitive grid and, and complex, which I think is what really leads to, um, you know, some of the hard parts to follow and understand of this championship. You know, it's not just Formula E; it's even Formula One with talking about power units and what are they on a soft, a medium, a, a pink tire, a purple tire. You know, it's it all becomes nowadays over engineered and just quite difficult to follow. So they're not the easiest things to engage with anyway, and that's just in general. I think. High sports are, are definitely, um, you know, motor racing have gone. Well, through all of that chaos, it was Mercedes EQ who emerged victorious with Nick De Vries. Um, it's all looking a bit ominous now, isn't it, Sam? 
It is a bit, yeah. Doesn't matter what the conditions are, really. Uh, doesn't matter what the circuit's like. That that they've got a quick motor and they've got a stellar driver driver lineup with Nick De Vries and and Stoffel van Dorn. They also have some seriously beefed up engineering staff there now, uh, who seem to be constantly adding to their armory from that perspective. Or, or ironically, they've not completely committed to the next rule set yet. But that's you know plenty of news on that to come. I'm sure the wet weather. I think masked a little bit of the likelihood of seeing a hierarchy last week, but irrespective of that, Mercedes are certainly at the pointy end. And um, you know, I, I I think that the um, let's not call it fortune, but the fact that they they won that and got a third place when others uh, didn't score, and then on Sunday, rivals didn't score as well as as they did because nobody got any points on Sunday. I think puts them in a position of um, a position of strength, but you know they're still making mistakes uh, as we saw in qualifying. So, what hap- yeah, what happened there? Yeah. Because obviously Van Dorn set pole, but then had his times disallowed for not using the correct tire. It's it's pretty simple actually. It's it's a it's an admin error, an administration error, which. You know, you kind of roll your eyes out. This is this is a sport. This is motor racing. But here we are. We, we've had it before with Daniel Apt and Audi with a barcode or something. You know, it's it's long been forgotten in the mists of mediocrity, hasn't it? I mean, who who cares? But anyway, well, exactly. I mean, it makes no performance difference, does it? Abs- one, absolutely not. It's just one number exactly on the. Yes, yeah. it was just one digit was was wrong. Yeah, it's it's human error, or as Ian James, Mercedes team principal, said, it was a fat finger issue. And, <laughs> and, and, and as somebody who is really bad at, at darts and snooker, I can uh, you know I can sympathise with that. Seri- serial numbers for specific components are entered into the FIA technical passport, and whoever it was put it in wrong. I mean, how many times have we done that on emails or whatever? I mean, it just it's just human nature, isn't it? What I think it was a number seven was put in as a number eight, or vice versa. I can't remember now, but. It was an eight-digit serial number, as Adam said, and, and the, the the technical passport of the FIA computer said no. So that was it. He was to the back of the grid. It can easily happen. Uh, I, I wish it would happen when you sign my contract retainer, V2B, but, you know, they can't have everything. <laughs> now, that was what I was going to triple check. There are no fat fingers going on there. <laughs> <laughs> um, in contrast to Mercedes uh, sort of pulling that result out, it was a poor, poor weekend um, for De Costa, as we said, you know, being disqualified from that first race, being taken out in the second one. Um, Adam, how do you think that will affect him? He'll obviously go away from the weekend disappointed. You know, it's it's not he's this is the nature of Form Lee. You know, it, it it seems to be like it is very difficult to be really consistent, and I think the nature of the tracks and probably just the evolution of the cars. You know, the software being open. There's so much constant um development with them that like i said i think sometimes it just becomes quite hard to get on top of and slightly complicated and you know or you maybe have a code that's slightly wrong and it, ha- it hasn't it has an effect on your on your pace in your car or you know it wasn't quite the same as it was before so i think that is what makes it quite unpredictable as well um so you know he'll he'll obviously be disappointed because you know, he should have. He should have obviously won the first race, and then the second day was just. It was just a sort of. It was just a different day anyway. You know, the, with the weather and everything, it made it actually quite exciting. Um, so you turn it around and you win the first race, and you come out with a pretty average second day. Well, it's still all right, isn't it? Um, but he'll be all right. Look, he's a he's the champion. He's he's been around long enough now. Um, 
I think he's actually off enjoying himself at Spa at the minute. So he'll be all right. He'll come back determined to, you know, to just get stuck in and try and um, defend his championship. Sam, while others were losing good results there, Nico Muller came from literally nowhere to pick up second place and an unlikely po- <laughs> and an unlikely podium for Dragon. Uh, a just reward for them because it's been a few a tough couple of seasons, hasn't it? You stumbled over the words dragon and podium there, didn't you, VDB? They're not been I did. <laughs> they're not been used for a while. It's first first podium, I think, since uh, Zurich back in 2018, so nearly three years ago. It was nice to see because they're a super dedicated bunch at Dragon. Um, you know, not I don't think the easiest team to, to, to sort of work with and, and uh, understand sometimes. But look, you know, Muller had two trips through the gravel and a drive-through penalty. Um, and that was for the team's 945th power over spike of the season or something. I mean, it just, you know, one thing you can rely on is them doing that. But seriously, the the, the pit lane was actually a decent energy save, uh, which not many people picked up on, really, because it was, you, you went, where the chicane was, you actually um, gained a bit of, bit of time going in the pit lane. Obviously, then you hit the limiter. But if it was a drive-through, it actually could work quite well for you in, in banking some energy as well. So, Ironically, there was that, and, and it com- contributed in some small way to an extraordinary end to the finish for Muller because you know he was he was pretty fat on energy. And he he went from fifteenth to second, I reckon, in the space of about eight eight hundred meters, which you know just kind of caveats the ludicrousness of that that situation. Yes, it was lucky, but please for the team because those uh, those boys and girls there deserve it. They they work really hard. And it could be the last race for that car because they're pretty close to bringing in their their new newly homologated um, D- uh, Dragon Penske car for for Monaco potentially. So uh, yeah, nice nice confidence boost and and uh, some good points for Nico Muller. Adam, going into that weekend, your old team Jaguar Racing were leading the standings. They came out of that race with zero points. Now we know that the qualifying system makes it deliberately hard for those at the head of the championship. But should they be a bit worried about how they coped with that challenge? In, like <laughs> they don't go into the weekend thinking it's gonna gonna be that bad or come out. You know, it's such a it's such a tough tough championship. You know, it's like you look at the guys who are the names that are P eighteen, nineteen, and twenty, and you you actually have a bit of a giggle because it's it's quite funny. Um, you know, there's the depth in the field, so. It doesn't take much. It really, really doesn't take much for your weekend to actually go the wrong direction. Um, you know, maybe going onto the permanent track, just their numbers weren't quite what they expected. Um, you know, a couple of mistakes, but it it still doesn't. It's such a fine line between being okay and being at the back. You know, you can make one small mistake or something in your car or your software doesn't quite work as it should and you know you're just at the back so it just highlights how competitive it is and of course you know everybody goes there with the best intentions to do the best job they can and you know it's it's never lack of physical effort you know every every single team everybody works so hard it's just obviously trying to decide what is ultimately the best way to go and I sort of keep saying that it is incredibly complex and that just will add to them you know it just makes it harder to actually probably 
get things you know all the way right all the time, which adds to. Do, do you think the the fact that there isn't going to be another track like this on on the calendar makes it a little bit easier for them? And if the car's quick on a traditional FE circuit, they haven't got anything to worry about. You shouldn't not you know you you should still if your car's quick on most of the street tracks tracks it should still be quick round Valencia, but you know your philosophy might just slightly. Of changed or everybody knew it was you know it was going to be a very 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 high energy demand circuit so it was always going to be tough racing and, and the efficiency of the cars were um going to be pushed to the limit but it's the it's you know it's it's just not maximizing the speed in your car so if you have a slightly bad qualifying session you know tra- track position is so important it is so important to try and have a car that you can at least qualify somewhere decent and then you can go with the pack and pick up the slipstream and at least try to um you know try to fight and be there very difficult to come from the back to the front um so yeah they haven't had a good weekend you know i'm sure they're very frustrated and they'll go away you know and look at what went wrong and try and come back stronger i mentioned earlier that the the qualifying system sort of inversely rewards uh, championship position by ensuring those in the uh, higher up in the championship go out in the earlier qualifying groups. The fear had always been among the drivers that if you have, you know, a wet track that's drying and evolving, then you absolutely have no hope because each successive session gets quicker and quicker. And we saw that ahead of qualifying for race two. Um, Adam's a driver, that must be so frustrating because there's literally nothing you can do. No, that's just... That's the way it is, you know. You can um, obviously, when it's dry, you can still have a few surprises, and you know, guys just hook up a really good lap in you know Q two or something, and still manage to, you know, start with a decent um, position. But when the weather's like that, yeah, there's just nothing you can do. So you just have to <laughs> sit back and sit back and watch. But it made it interesting, and it 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 did lead for. You know, a, a a good race yesterday, and also especially for uh, Neil to score some points as well. Yeah, we'll we'll get into that in a minute. But Sam, yeah, it, it gave us a chance for a few of the drivers that haven't had a good season to date to to shine. Yeah, and and that's Formula E, isn't it? You know, you've always got a chance, and the 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 level, consistent level of the championship, we we talk about all the time, don't we? There, there's no. Um, there's no chaff; it's all wheat. So, actually, the phrase "lesser lights" is it's a bit of a misnomer because there aren't many. You know, I think in season one there were a few, uh, let's say, let's call them commercial drivers that that came in on occasion, and 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 it wasn't the quality wasn't quite there. But I think since really season three, four, probably it's just been consistently excellent. I think the perfect example of what we're talking about here was BMW, wasn't it? And Jake Dennis, who arrived with. Uh, at the bottom of the table, um, and they they hadn't really featured this season. As Dennis learned about Formula E, he had quite a bit of bad luck actually. But he quietly went about his business. As did Norman, as did Norman Nato. And um, you know, when you get given the chance in Formula E, you have to take it. And, and Jake Dennis did uh, to a really big extent. So fair play to them. But as, as Adam says, it's the, the track position element is is critical. And, and as we saw from. Um, the Jaguar guys and, and Mercedes in, in the second race coming from the, you know, doing a burn from the stern, doing a doing a watty at uh, Long Beach in eighty three. It's just not. It's not going to happen. Uh, it's just too. 
the the competition is just too too tight, really. Now, when we were talking about this race pre weekend time, I think you described it. It was going to be a ten thousand meter race with pace um, setters. Yeah, Dennis did that a mega pole lap, and that was that was one of the best pole laps I think I've seen in the Super Pole in ages. And then led from light to flank. So how did that happen? I thought that was impossible. Yeah, it just blew a massive hole through my analogy, didn't he? So, <laughs> but you know, he surprised everybody. I wasn't the only one. Um, it was a control pace that he had. Um, you know, he didn't go too soon. I think the Nato Lynn incident helped him a little bit. Uh, people were getting a bit twitchy, and unfortunately for Lynn, he was the, you know, he got he got punished unduly for that. Um, I think the team just made a really nice call and, and, and managed it well, and. They went when they had to, and of course they didn't have any race neutralisation. So it was it was trouble free to that extent. And then they made, you know, towards the end of the race, they they adapted their their strategy when it was a similar sort of cusp of what happened on Saturday. But they managed that really well. I mean, they had some in um, they had some in the can, so to speak. So it wouldn't have been a massive issue. But they they just got it right. And actually, Jake Dennis for a rookie. I think that's as good a performance as you will see from a rookie. Roland was good in season five, wasn't he? Rosenqvist hit the ground running, but genuine rookies coming in. Um, I thought he's been. I think he's been excellent. I always thought he'd be good in Formula E. I've followed him since Formula Three, and I know some of the people that he's worked with, uh, some team managers and guys like Sam Hignett at Jota, who you know wax lyrical about about Jake, and uh, they've been proved right because he did a. A, a superb job and, and, and sort of vanquished the opposition. And you, you know, when somebody's done a really good job in Formula E, all the competitors say it, and everybody in the paddock afterwards was buzzing about what a what a splendid race that that Dennis uh, Dennis ran to his first victory. Adam, what did you make of that drive from from Jake? And do you think he's a championship contender now? I don't know if I can answer the championship contender now, but it's it's because Formula E is just so unpredictable. And, um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think it was, you know, that's exactly what drivers at this level should try to do. Yeah, he's a rookie, but, you know, he took his chance, didn't he? And he had a chance and he absolutely nailed it. So it was a very, very good drive. No mistakes, really clean, as Sam said. Um, he was under, obviously, a lot of pressure from from Lynn. Yeah, probably because of what Sam said, everybody was afraid to lead the race. Um, um, you know, I don't know. Some people have been talking about slipstreams. I heard a few numbers floating around. You know, people in the test were putting that theory and towing each other and trying to work out a, a number and what you would save. Um, so I don't really, I don't really know. Of course, it would probably help. Yes. Um, you know, Alex tucked in and just trying to probably save as much as possible. But you just can't, you know, fault the drive and at all it was it was excellent um started at the front and managed to win the race so you can't really ask for any more than that um so yeah it was it was very very good it'll be a good boost for his confidence and you know a good boost for the team um but that's form lee so you know <laughs> who knows what's going to happen at the next one yeah absolutely well it was andre lotterer who was in second place which i think atoned some of his driving in the first race where he seemed to hit just about everyone and everything in sight. I mean, Adam, you've raced against him. Is is he always that aggressive in wheel-to-wheel racing? I think I think Formula E has a few, you know, interesting characters who 
are quite aggressive. You know, I've raced quite a few people now. And, you know, something as a driver has always really surprised me is actually how many people can turn a fast lap. You know, that, that's something that's always kind of blows my mind a wee bit. Um, you know, guys who you just don't think should be that fast can still manage to put in a serious fast lap. But it's, it's you know, the guys who can race, do the fast lap, race, wheel the wheel, judge the gaps, don't quite, you know, hit the other car around them. And I'm always quite surprised with just how much contact there actually is. I know, I know tracks are tight and you don't have much room, but, you know, maybe it's just the, the sort of confidence level of the guy stroke, maybe a touch of arrogance that, you know, you, you need to work together when you're wheel to wheel with someone like it's a, it's not just one sided. If you don't leave the Lagani room, you will crash. You know, if you don't enter the braking zone, at least with your front wheels, almost alongside his before you hit the apex, then they're going to turn in and you're going to crash. You know, there's just a few things that seem to happen informally. Um, you know, I don't know. Andre seemed to have had a tough time lately. You know, he's obviously an exceptional driver and has done amazingly well. Um, he pushes very, very hard. And sometimes these cars, just the nature of them and the systems and the braking and stuff, you know, you think you maybe are, are going to do something, but it just doesn't quite pan out as you as you hoped. <laughs> and I think he also maybe in the first race had a few issues with underbraking, maybe with his... Um, few software issues i think that maybe led towards something so yeah some sometimes informally things can happen that unfortunately as a driver you just can't really get out and actually you know tell everybody about it so that's just the way it is and, and yet you can look pretty silly sometimes and you have to just take it on the chin um and you know you don't want to see guys crashing into each other you want to see good clean clean racing but it does happen yeah, hard but fair, I think, is the, the line that we like to see drawn. I mean, Sam, a second place for Porsche looks good, um, but there's clearly still some issues with the race pace of that car. Yeah, I think so. I think they're working on it. I mean, there's, they're, they're limited to what they can do. The majority of it will be software. Obviously, the, the powertrain is homologated, so they can't change anything there. Um, Lotterer did a great job in, in second race. He's had a lot of misfortune. He's, he's made some, as Adam said, some uh, slightly brawny moves and not worked out for him. Um, and he did one on Saturday, didn't he? He, um, was it Buemi, wasn't he? Turf Buemi off on the first lap. So that's two races or two weekends on the trot that he's been involved in an early race incident. So just harking back to what Adam said, you need a degree of patience to, to sort of blend with that aggressiveness. And, um, but, but he did a great job on Sunday and got a, uh, Porsche's second podium of the season. Uh, I thought he was he was really good. He had the better of Verline generally. He was a bit more erratic actually this weekend after a pretty consistent start to the year. I think his side of the garage had a, a fair few issues. He had a braking um, episode in in the second race and got bullied out a bit by Nato. And uh, you know, when I say Verline got bullied out, I reckon Jake Dennis will have a little smirk at that after his after the Diria outrage when he got turfed into the wall by. By Pascal, but look, you know they they have got some work to do. I think that they're still learning a lot about Formula E. But as we said in the last podcast, you know they're not rookies now; they're in their second year, and they've. Um, I think they'll win a race this year, but for sure they have to. The pressure's on. They've got to win a race this year. They can't just finish second and third when you know those big manufacturers around them are, are, are ticking off the victories. They've they've got to get uh, they've got to get on the top step. 
Well, somebody who thought he could have won the race was Alex Lynn, who said afterwards that him and his uh, Mahindra had the pace to win it if Norman Nato hadn't punted them off. It was great to see him on the podium finally, Sam. Did you buy that, that he could have won it? Yes, I did, actually. Yeah, I thought he would have had a really good chance of, of winning that race. The the initial strategy of sitting on, on Dennis's tail, I think it would have he would have gone and it would have been interesting. And pace-wise, the two are have sort of probably been quite easily matched, the Mahindra and the, the BMW so far this season, although Mahindra have got the better results. I, um, you know, he's made Super Bowl, I think, four times this year, and he's probably along uh, along with, um, I don't know, De Vries and De Costa, probably one of the best and most consistent qualifiers around. But translating that into results and race paces has, has proved elusive for, for various reasons. You know, he's been, he's a super-focused individual, uh, Alex, and he, he's fought back well from... You know, landing on his head in in um, where was it, Diria in Riyadh. I've always rated Lynn. I I really like the way he operates. He's um, he's a, he's really really committed. I mean, all drivers are, but you know, he's ultra focused on trying to get those results. Dilbag Gill made a really smart move getting Alex last summer, and I, and I think he'll get paid back in spades. He got he got hit by Nato, and that spoiled his race. I was listening to his radio, and boy, you know, I've heard Adam Carroll come out with some good Anglo-Saxon before, but Alex Lynn, yeah, sent shivers down my spine with some of the words he was using. I think I was blushing in the media centre with some of the words he was using after after Nato swiped him. It was quite quite extreme, but um, he fought back, and they kind of went on another strategy, and he and he fought back and and got third um, after Nato's um, penalty. So well deserved, and I think actually it will give him renewed confidence, and I, I expect more more results like that from Alex. And when he gets the opportunities and the fact that he's he's a, such a good qualifier, he will uh, he'll deliver. I'm sure he will. You know the strategy of just saving energy in behind. Um, you know if the numbers were quantifiable with the with the toe, it would have made the end of that race yeah very very interesting. I think Alex would have definitely uh, ha- had a go. You know you would have had a proper battle on your hands. Um, yeah, Alex is a. I think Alex is quite su- well suited to. The formerly he's obviously a very 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 quick driver but he's a he's quite a he's quite a clean cut driver he likes you know he, i've coached him before seen his data when he was young so it was always interesting to see him in a formula three car against uh um the other guys you know he was very good at putting you know all of the lap together and i think in formerly with that you know with the nature of the cars it, it definitely it helps um you know, the guys who can who can do that you're know, very um precise and, and clean cut and just not you know being too aggressive or overstepping the line um and just putting the whole thing together so yeah i think he's going to be at the front quite a few times this year definitely well you mentioned earlier adam that uh your team neo 333 um backed a decent result actually both cars in super pole as well with those conditions so how did the team react to that you know solid eighth place for oliver turvey there oh yes like it was um of course it was excellent for Oliver to, you know, f- score more points, and he was properly in the mix. You know, he held on really well and and did an excellent job. You know, Oliver's he's very strong in the race, and he he's good at managing everything around him. You know, it was a very good race. The guys he drove excellent, and and you know the guys gave him the backup he he needed. So, you know, for, the reality is for the guys that. To come away in the top ten with a result like that, it's 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 really good. It's it's big, like you know, they've worked so hard on 
just to turn things around. Um, you know, so it's a little bit disappointing, obviously, for Tom because it would have been nice for both cars just to be able to hang in there. Um, yeah, Tom's race was very, very tough for him. So you know, it had that little bit of a, it sort of put obviously a slight damper on it because you know it would have been great just to capitalize on both cars, you know, finishing in the points. But you know that that that's something else that the guys need to look at and and understand and. Um, but for you know, for Oliver and for the team, it was great. More points. Um, you know, they were battling Penske in the championship, and you know, <laughs> I think when you talk about seeing the result in the first race, you know, the guys were like, "Oh my goodness!" Like, how do you try to? How do you? Try, you know, it's going to be tough to to get those points back again. So it's a lot of eighth places to catch that up, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that yeah. So that's you know, that's another thing that. I guess decisions like that in the first race, you know, can seriously like sway a championship, can't it? For for the wrong reasons. Um, but no, in general, the team are working very hard. You know, the two very fast drivers. Um, yeah, the guys will continue to chip away, and I, th- I think they can, you know, be mid pack definitely when things are working out, and and try and sneak those and get those points when they're available. Sam, so, um, it's definitely been a better season for for Neo three 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 after last year, and Turvey is just the man you want, isn't he, to to bring that result home when there's one for the taking. Yeah, absolutely. I thought he drove a terrific race. I gave him an eight in my driver ratings this morning on Monday morning after the race. Steady which... on, Sam. <laughs> um, it's you know when when Oliver has a very rare bad weekend, which he did have in Rome which you know, we won't discuss in detail because we did in the last one, you feel guilty giving him a low result because A, he's such a top guy and a nice fella, and B, he's such a great racing driver that you know it's a kind of aberration that will probably happen once every decade or whatever. But he was great. I thought he did a really, really good job. He, um, he got ahead of Tom at the first corner and, like Adam said, was in the mix. And I think it's very encouraging, actually, for, for Neo, who have improved hugely since uh, last season you know they've, they've gone through quite a lot in the last 18 months or so in terms of restructuring and so forth but the decisions they're making I think are really really interesting and quite exciting um, you know even even hiring Adam as a as a reserve as one of those so, <laughs> uh, I think I think they've got a lot to look forward to and you know if they have a if they have a steady season this year and, and accrue points and you know even if they're not in the in, in the midfield in terms of the end of the points uh, table, you know, even if they are the the you know the the eleventh or twelfth categorized team, the fact that they are now racing and can take it to the opposition and and improve uh, bodes well for the last season of Gen Two next season. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there was an incident mid race where Sebastian Boemi and Stoffel Van Dorn had a coming together and it ended up eliminating Van Dorn from the race. Given we've already talked about the underlying pace of that Mercedes and the strength of the setup. After what happened in Rome as well, is is Van Dorn in danger of not seeing the bigger picture here? Because, you know, this formerly championships are won by just accruing those points over the course of the season. Yeah, it's tempting to say that, but as we've as we've said so often, it's it's Formula E, so it's it's kind of an easy, easy target to say it. I think Stoffel in hindsight, we'll look back at that one in particular. I think Rome was kind of out of his hands with just the scenario, but I think that one he, he could have had a bit of extra caution and uh, and not sort of edged Buemi off the side of the track, and then he got forced back and clobbered the chicane, and that was that was the end of his day. But he, he I mean, he kind of got away with it, didn't he, in terms of the non-scores 
of his title rivals. But he can't afford many more of them for sure. If he's if he's to be a, a title contender, I mean, he is a title contender. You don't have favourites in Formula E. That's just futile. But I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> I think <laughs> I think he I think he's he is among the favourites. I think with the package he's got, the experience and the fact that he's obviously extraordinarily good. Uh, a bit worrying for Jags, as, as Adam um, spoke about before, and DS that Merck is so quick everywhere and whatever the conditions, and they got those big points in the, the first race in Valencia. So, yeah, that, when I said the hierarchy isn't quite there, I think we what we do know is that there is a little kind of breakaway of three, probably, of DS, Merck and Jags, although we haven't really seen Audi been in a position to exploit what they've got, and I believe that Audi will... Uh, come into their own and, and and perhaps join that that trio and make it a quartet quite soon. Adam, Adam, Adam how did you see it? If you were in um, Van Dorn's position, would you have still gone for it? Would you have backed off and lived to fight another day? There was no gap. Like you couldn't. Uh, it was never going to happen because Sebastian would have had to have like turned left. You know, um, and it's not a breaking zone. You're accelerating. So as you come out of the first one through the second part you know you're 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 building speed so there's not that opportunity to then be kind of on someone's back wheel and then break a bit later and kind of stuff it up the inside you don't you don't have that so i don't really understand you know i don't really understand where they thought the outcome would have you know what would have happened there um it's a very difficult one because same thing you know it's so late in the corner that Wemmy, even if he did give him a little bit of room, he can't, he can't give him that much room there. He can't be that offline or he'll end up, you know, going off into the gravel on the outside. So, yeah, no, that was just one that you just were like, okay, I'll just back out of that and, you know, wait one more lap and have another go. Especially if you've got the faster car. So, yeah, that, that I'm sure he's, you know, it's easy to sit here and say that, but um, I'm sure they'll look back on it and, and learn from it and probably you know move on um i think maybe you'll start to see yeah the top few teams really uh you know start to stretch your legs a little bit or just even with the consistency just just be there but it's super tight it's so so tight i don't think there's you know you look at the look who's in it the manufacturers drivers you know it, it's really um it's tough it's tough out there so there's a, there's a common theme in these podcasts sam and that's the there's a bit of the show where we talk about the calendar but it looks as though we have the final calendar now. So you can just talk us through that announcement that was made pre-weekend and how things have changed. Yeah, so Santiago and Marrakesh have been taken off the calendar. Uh, the pandemic continues to, to ravage Formula E, unfortunately, and just not possible to go to to those events, which is really, really a big shame because Santiago is very popular. Marrakesh is a bit of a quirky one, not massively popular with the manufacturers, but it is it is quite an interesting one. and. and Similar to Valencia, actually, is probably the hardest on energy. So you always get a, a decent race there. So next we're going to Monaco, which is the only single event, uh, which is going to be on the, the big track, finally. Um, so cue all the outraged outraged um, Twitter. Um, oh, they're merchants. so slow compared to Formula I'll go away. Well, well it's... Well. Yeah, it's, it's Andrew's fault. He has, he's been campaigning for them to go to fix circuits for, for <laughs> since the start. <laughs> I, 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 Will they have enough power to get up the hell? Get in the sea. I just, <laughs> it's just so, it's just so, fr- so predictably frustrating. Yeah, you just stole one of my lines there. Although get in the sea is a pretty good one, B two B with the harbour being so close. I think 
you know, it, it's going to be really interesting to see them. And I just think, I spoke to Mark Webber actually yesterday, and, and uh, he said that seeing Formula E cars going down from Massa, sorry, going up to Massaday and round Casino down to Mirabeau, it's just going to be fascinating how, how they look. Just visually, it's just going to look really good. Forget the speed. It's not about the speed. It's just going to be a great spectacle. And the attack zone is going to be on the... Um, the outside of the Lowe's Herpin, I still call it the Lowe's Herpin. It, it's called something very bland now, but it'll always be Lowe's Herpin to me and many others. They've sort of extended that, so there is now a almost a double lane where they're going to take the attack mode there. So not probably not a massive loss, but should be quite interesting to that right-hander and then into Portier and, and through the tunnel and grabbing the the the, uh, the the toe and making some moves through the tunnel into the breaking zone at the chicane. I, I think there's so much to look forward to there, so... Fantastic decision. We're then going to go to uh, Puebla, which hosted some world touring car races um, in the last decade, which is going to be fun. It's um, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a multi configured circuit. Um, we're not quite sure what exactly which configuration they're going to be using in Puebla, but uh, sadly the Hermanos Rodriguez has been used as a um, a medical facility at the minute and was not possible to go to. They'll then stay in North America, go to New York, which becomes a double header, and then on to finally the Accelerine. And you'll be able to read this week uh, a chat I had with uh, Oliver McCrudden, who is uh, one of the key figures in the return of the London E-Prix. So lots of interesting news from, from Oliver and what to expect there, hopefully with some fans in uh, well probably outside of the excel arena uh so that's great and then it's going to finish with a double header at temple hof um which i think is a reasonable way to end the season especially with a it's going to be the last race for for audi and bmw in formula e remember so it's um it's, it's a pretty decent way to end the season from that respect so yeah lots to look forward to and obviously you can be able to to read all about it on uh, the hyphen race.com uh, Adam, any of those events that you're particularly looking forward to? Well, I can actually, um, I can only do Monaco for the next one. So uh, I've got my race commitments this year. I'm going to, there's clashes with the new calendar, which is, which was great. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <The rate. laughs> so unfortunately, you yeah, know, that was, uh, yeah. So I was, got when I read the calendar, I was like, oh no, that's not the best for me. But um, uh, obviously like Monaco is going to be next. Yeah. It's going to be great to see the cars go around there, there, there. They're still good fun at Monaco. Um, you know, I think the new cars in general just do look pretty, pretty cool on track. They're definitely different. Um, a little bit space age, so you know people will probably be um keen to keen to see it. Um, you know, new tracks are always exciting. Uh, you know, New York. It was uh, I enjoyed New York. I, I liked it. It was a track that um. Kind of was one of those ones when you first saw it, you, you didn't think it looked like actually it was going to be great, but it was good to drive, good fun to drive. Um, and then we all know what Templehof's like. So, yeah, it's still a good mix. Still some some new tracks that will still throw, you know, throw a bit of a curveball out there and make it make it hard, especially going to new places with the you know your simulation and simulator and, and then getting there and seeing how, how close or how far away you were. So, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a very exciting um, finish or rest of the season formally. For for Monaco, I'm really looking forward to seeing the the chunk of wall that Rennie Arnoux took out of the barrier at Monaco Historics last weekend. At the, <laughs> the age of seventy two, <laughs> fantastic. 
There was some really good footage from that, wasn't there? And especially the uh, the, the Lacey Ferrari thing. Yeah, and Jean obviously ended up in the in the wall, didn't he? So uh, you know, thirty years on, nothing much changes. Nothing changes. <laughs> no, no, haven't haven't lost it anyway. They're still uh, overdriving a wee bit, I think. <laughs> but it was nice to see. It was it was good to see the car go around, and um, obviously you can't can't um, take the nature out, can you? The boys are still pushing on, but too hard by the signs of it. <laughs> ah, brilliant. Well, I mentioned at the top of the show that we were starting in a slightly unusual way and just to carry that theme on, we're going to end in an unusual way in the way that we normally start. So, um, Adam, we would normally now have given you a big build-up of uh, uh, our thoughts and memories of working with you in the past. So while Sam's thinking of his, I'll just uh, recall, um, I think it was the first race of yours that I covered, which was the first round of the inaugural GP2 Championship at Imola uh, in 2005. And that stunning four-wheel drift pass you pulled on Alex Prema to take the win going through the final chicane, which I just thought was just such a beautiful move. And those cars on those tyres were always great fun to watch, but that you know set the whole championship, um, set it off perfectly. So, yeah, that was a, that was a great one. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, yeah, that weekend was interesting, and those cars were fun on those tyres. You know, they did, you could be quite loose and it was fast, you know, as long as you had a good front end. Um they were exciting to. They were definitely exciting to drive, uh, and yeah, you know, I I had to go sideways because he was actually going to hit me. So they didn't believe. I think Gilles de Fran didn't actually. Someone didn't believe me after that, but it was actually deadly serious. Uh, if you noticed when I went up the inside into the chicane and he had slightly locked up and started to go through the grass, I had already just had to commit the chicane. So as we came out, you know, I could see that the gap was disappearing very quickly so the only way that his front wheel or wing was not going to hit the side of my my car or my rear wheel was just to light it up and go sideways so that's what happened and it, it, it worked out <laughs> so i don't have that one on the wall at home that's one of the few pictures that that made it it looks so cool i, th- I think there's uh on youtube i think there's actually there's actually video floats around of um a slow-mo of it like off the tv and it, it, it's pretty good it's pretty good Mega. I'll have a look for that after this. Um, Sam, your, your thoughts of Adam? Uh, yeah, I reckon I first met Adam in early '03, actually, uh, way back when. God, it's nearly 20 years ago at Lola. And um, he was going to drive our Lola Dome Formula 3 car. It didn't, didn't quite work out. I remember we took him <laughs> we took him for a pub lunch in Huntingdon. Um, and then I think we kicked on for a bit of a session afterwards, but not Adam, obviously, because he's a professional. Um, but since then, I've I bumped into him in Blancpain and Formerie and Weck, and he, you know, he, he's just a top, top guy, top bloke, top professional who happens to be amazingly quick. So I've always been a bit of a, bit of a fan. I think, uh, you know, if if some stars have been aligned, we could have, we could have got him in the the Lola F1 car in twenty ten. Um, if Lola had got the license to be one of the new teams back then, but that's a story all of its own for for one day. But you know. For sure, the preferred drivers, as far as I were aware, were Adam and, and Sato. So it wasn't quite, you know, done and dusted. But I think that's probably the way it would have gone. So yeah, he's um, he's had he's had a great career. And he continues to be to be pushing it. So uh, it's always good to catch up and see him. But uh, that's enough smarm from me, anyway. Back to you. 
Um, to Sam, just send me the invoice there. And, yeah, no uh, problem. No problem. <laughs> We're sorry. Are we still on? Is it still live? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's a good time to end. Um, it's been great having you with us, Adam. Thank you for all your input and expertise. And uh, it was great to have you back in the paddock, Sam. Um, maybe next time you can instill some more common sense in proceedings if you're there. Um, but remember to catch up with all of Sam's Formula E content on the-race.com. And don't forget to check out our other podcast, which includes our new IndyCar show with special guest host J.R. Hildebrand. Well, thank you very much, everyone, and goodbye. <laughs>